Hi, this is Dr. Jose Salivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. Joining me today is a is a very special friend. Um, where where are you where are you at these days? What, where are you at? I was good. I was trying to say something really smooth, like "Oh, joining me all the way from," but yeah, I I don't even know where you're living these days. I I would call it the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Okay. So joining us all the way from the Bay Area uh, is my friend Alvaro Soria. And, and um, you know, Alvaro, we were, um, I think we we're trying to set this up. We we're talking earlier this week. And I was thinking, you know, I should ask my guests for uh, bios so that I can say really, you know, wonderful things about them. But instead, I'm just going to kick it over to you. So you, you tell us all about yourself. Who are you? Ready for this. Who, who are you and what do you do, Alvaro? I'm ready for this because I've heard I've heard a couple of the other guests come on board and you're like introduce yourself. So I've been thinking. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I don't think it'll be very smooth, but I've been thinking about it. So um, I'm originally from El Paso, uh, Texas. I grew up there um, pretty much up until I was 18. Graduated from high school. Then I moved out to California. And I've essentially been in California since then, since I came out to college out here, except for two years that I spent uh, living in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's been almost as much now in California. I feel like I'm almost the California now instead of a Tejano. <laughs> but um, yeah, I uh, am a recovering attorney, I guess is how I would put it. <laughs> So I went to law school. Uh, I practice. Um, I, I was a practicing attorney for, I don't know, about 10 years, uh, primarily early in my career work, uh, working to represent uh, minors in different types of cases. So youth um, in the foster care system that were pursuing legal guardianships with folks other than their parents um, that were potentially facing deportation or applying for visas to remain in the country legally. Um, and then also um, students that were being expelled from um, school, from like K through 12 schools. And then I transitioned to the type of work that I'm doing now, um, which is working on doing investigations of like civil rights investigations. So. Um, I currently work at uh, the University of California, Berkeley, um, in their Office for the Prevention of Harassment and Discrimination. So any complaints that individuals have about discrimination and harassment on a protected basis, um, we're the office that handles those types of complaints. So um, we do those types of investigations, interview people, review evidence, write up reports about like the evidence we collect and either recommendations for um, whether we believe like things were to have occurred and whether mm -hmm. policies were violated or we like actually make the determinations ourselves depending on the circumstances. Cause we handle complaints involving students, staff, faculty members, visitors on campus. Like it really is, is, is a lot of different people, but yeah. So not so much practicing. I'm not in the courtroom anymore, but still doing like legal type work. Wow. Um, it sounds fascinating. It sounds fascinating. It sounds very, um, I, I mean, obviously, like, I, I think um, anything having to do with the law is important, right? But the work that you're doing, right, um, making sure that, that individual civil rights aren't being violated, I think, is obviously very important, especially given the, the climate today, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think especially over like this summer, um, the different like police actions that took place uh, mm -hmm. have led to just an increase in reports. So a lot of complaints wow. from students, from staff um, that have experienced or are alleging to experience like race discrimination mm -hmm. um, and like trying to be there and be receptive. Cause I think an important yeah. purpose of our office is like people need to think if they make a complaint that it's going to be like received, handled seriously, responded to, um, and seeing an increase in that type of work. Um, I take like very seriously, like, yeah, we need to respond. We need to be able to, 
um, communicate with individuals, tell them that we're doing these investigations and then follow through to complete them. So Alvaro, <clears throat> you know, I, I think we can spend a lot of time talking about your work um, and not to downplay it because I think it is important. And, um, and there's a story that I know you and I, an experience that you and I both had as undergrads that I, I would like to revisit. Um, but before we get there, um, you know, growing up in El Paso, r- real quick, tell me, tell me, do you have brothers, sisters? What, what was it that your parents did? And um, tell me about the value that they placed on education. Sure. So I'm an only child. Uh, both my parents were born in Mexico. Uh, and they came to the United States. My mom came like around the time that she was um, in high school, like middle school, high school. And my dad came around the same period of time. Um, yeah, I'm an only child. So I got a lot of attention and a lot of support. Um, I, I'm, I would say that I'm spoiled. I think at the time I also would have said that I'm spoiled. <laughs> I'm totally able to acknowledge that. Um, I think for my parents, they constantly um, emphasize like school and education. And I think one thing that was helpful for me is like um, going, like being at school, um, doing well at school, like became motivating for me. Like my parents weren't someone who were like, be like, if you don't get an A in this or if you don't do that, um, you won't get like some toy or some sort of like benefit that you want. They were more like, you know, it's okay. You didn't do so well, you know, you didn't do well. All you have to do is like work harder and try harder. Yeah. So I I took that to heart. Like I always thought like, Oh, if I work hard enough, if I like study more, I'll be able to be successful. Yeah. And then I liked, I liked receiving positive attention from like my parents and then from my teachers. So, um, yeah, I, I always enjoyed going to school and like doing well and learning stuff. And um, yeah, I would say some of that still remains for me. <laughs> but definitely when I was younger, I was very much like, oh, yeah, like I can learn this. I know how to, you know, like I can. I, yeah. I'm, I'm good at the school part. I'm good at yeah. the academic part. So let me ask you, you're um, 16, 17, um, 18. Um, and, um, you know, you're at, at this point, I think at, let's say, um, your senior year of high school, you're applying to colleges, right? Um, but even before that, you know, every kid, every kid's always asked, I feel like in every grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? So what did you want to be when you, when you became an adult? I don't remember like the very first time answering that but I do think I always thought like oh I want to be a lawyer like I, I want to be I want to practice law yeah. and I think the main reason was like financial it was like <laughs> oh attorneys make money and that's like something that I want to do I want to make money yeah. um, and I guess to that end like in high school I did debate like all four years all four years of high school my freshman to senior year and you know a debate is filled with like aspiring attorneys and stuff. So it's like, Oh, you know, there's an, there's a prompt that you're given and it's like, okay, here's this idea. You have to argue the affirmative. You have to argue the negative of it. We used to have to write um, speeches and say like, Oh, here's all the different components of it. Um, so I think like the, the speaking part, like the coming up with arguments part is something that started early. And I feel like at least when, um, when I was in high school, like all of those kids were going up to be attorneys. So it was like, I was going down the path that seemed to exist already. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, um, you go to Stanford Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's where, that's where we met. That's where we met. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're coming from El Paso and Stanford is not El Paso. Mm-hmm. Although there was a, a huge, like, <laughs> huge. Group of, 
group of, of, of students coming to Stanford from Manfasa. It felt like every person I met from Texas, every like, yeah, every person I met from Texas Everyone. was from El Paso. Yeah. Um, but was it, was it tough for you? The like transitioning, going to college that first year? I mean, what was that like? What was that transition like for you? Yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. Um, so I will say, I, I know with some of the other guests, you talk about like how the process goes about like uh, identifying going to college and what that experience was like. Um, and I think early on, I knew like college was in my future and something that I was going to do. Um, besides doing debate, I did um, this program that is across the country. I think Sochi talked about it. Um, when you spoke with her, the National Hispanic Institute, NHI, um, and they would host programs every summer. You know, the, the freshman program uh, back when I was a freshman in high school was called The Great Debate. So it was like debate stuff. And I, I got involved in it because my cousin who was older had done the Lorenzo de Zavala Youth Legislative Session which was a sophomore program. So I signed up for the freshman program thinking it was gonna be the sophomore program. And then I was all like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm here. I'm gonna do all this stuff. But um, we would spend weekends at UTEP at the University of Texas at El Paso. Um, we would like go to different auditoriums. We would do research in the library. So it was like, oh yeah, this is just something that you do, you know, like call it, you know, UTEP is right here. I'm going to go to UTEP. It's a place where you go after high school. Um, then we would travel. So we, we would, we used to take a bus trip uh, over the summer and there would be like all the participants who were freshmen and some kids who were sophomores who would kind of be like, supervisors be doing their own thing and there was also like parent chaperones so you know we would travel to um i forget the name outside of dallas and we would like spend a weekend there and compete mm -hmm. with uh, <clears throat> students from other parts of texas and there were similar programs in in new mexico and california um i think it's broader than that now but it was like, it became a routine. Every summer I was like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm gonna do the NHI program this summer. You know, my sophomore year, I went to the University of Chicago for the legislative session, meeting kids from all over the country because it wow. broadened up. Um, and a lot of the kid, a lot of the folks that I went to Stanford with, but then also that um, I knew from El Paso, like all of us went to different universities across the country and what, what attracted me to Stanford is um, my junior year of high school, I went to Stanford for debate camp. Mm -hmm. So I, I went there, I stayed with some family. Um, I met some kids from other parts of the country and I love the campus. You know, it's a beautiful campus. Um, very laid back. I was like, this is the place that I want to go. Um, yeah. And I, I consider myself very fortunate to have gone having like all the experience and support from my parents, you know, from these other, from NHI, from debate. Um, I felt like the community had supported me to be successful. I got to Stanford thinking that it would be hard academically. I was like, you know, I'm going to have a hard time. Um, a, a lot of people, right, take AP tests so that they can like, move ahead and have some college credit. I was all like, no, if I do that, I'm going to be lost. I need to like start at the beginning, <laughs> figure everything out. Um, but that first year I was like, oh, I'm not in El Paso anymore. Like um, the family support that I had was yeah. like not, not uh, there as much. Um, there were a, a couple of other um, guys from my high school that uh, were also at Stanford, but like, like they were at different dorms. Mm -hmm. And I felt like everyone kind of starting to go their own way. And yeah. I think um, especially that first semester, having a, a really hard time feeling homesick, like just feeling like, I don't know if I can just make it by myself on yeah. my own. Um, and I remember having a couple of conversations with my parents, like crying, being all like, I don't know if, you know, if I can do this. I remember I would, I would get food at the dining hall 
and like bring it back to my room because I was like really shy and uh, self-conscious about, you know, like not knowing anybody. Um, and then uh, kind of, I, I forget how soon into my freshman year is when I got to connected with El Centro Chicano at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And that became like my, my surrogate home. I was like, I would go there every day. I, I became like a frosh liaison person. Like I would just work there. No, actually I wasn't a frosh liaison. That's right. Other <laughs> people were frosh liaisons. I was just support staff, but I would like go in there. I'd be all the time. I would open the office. I would like <laughs> see people. Um, and it took at least like until the end of my sophomore year, I think, to feel like, oh, you know what? I, I belong here. Yeah. I have a community here and I feel like I can be successful here. But definitely those um, the first two years I was I, I, I wasn't quite there yet. So <clears throat> you're at Stanford um, and and I think, you know, I know what you mean about the community, right? I, I think I had, I took maybe an opposite approach. I know my first year, I didn't, nobody else, you know, uh, from my high school went and and I didn't know anybody. And so for me, it was like, I always tell my students, it felt like I was going door to door, like, hi, I'm Posa Saldiva, <laughs> Jay Saldiva, nice to meet you. So I knew, I think I knew everybody in the dorm and, and, um, and then I worked in the dining hall, um, you know, as part of work study. Um, I didn't, I think, you know, I I remember getting a call or I remember filling out like the, the information about the dorms and not wanting an ethnic theme dorm. So you were in Zapata, right? Your freshman year? I was not. Oh, you were not in Zapata. I was the same as you. I was like, I don't want to be in the ethnic theme dorm, but I was like, I do want a, a Chicano Latino roommate. So I did. I, like I was, I was paired with a roommate. We were very different. <laughs> we're very different. Uh, we did not stay closer in touch. But then my sophomore year, I was like, oh yeah, no, I actually do want to live in Zapata, and then yeah. live in Zapata for two years. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I like you. I think I would because, I, and I don't know if you had this sense. Like I was like, I'm coming from South Texas. Like I, I was surrounded by. I wanted to experience something different, so I chose not to live in an ethnic theme dorm. And I didn't, I, I got homesick, I think the semester after um, the, the winter quarter, I think I got homesick winter quarter. So I remember calling my parents crying. <laughs> winter quarter, about, I don't know if I can make it. Um, and then, but, you know, and I, I share this because I think like sophomore year into freshman year and sophomore year when I went back, I was looking for more, for more community. Yeah. And so I'd been to Centro Chicano as part of a, my pay group. I think my pay group met in the back, one of those back rooms, right? Where the graduate students were or something like that. Um, and so sophomore year, I went and like started to hang around Centro Chicano and and then learned about Los Hermanos. Yeah. Um, for you, you know, cause you were, you were really involved. Was it about finding community for you? It was. I think it was. It was like developing like those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it felt um, like I felt like I had a lot of mentorship through at Centro mm-hmm. too with like Chris Gonzalez Clark uh, and Francis Morales. Like I felt like I could talk to them about mm-hmm. stuff. And then the other staff, like just being around and helping set up events, yeah. <laughs> like all, all the different groups and clubs and stuff. And it would be all like, oh, we need to set up for uh, posadas. And it was like, we need to move from like one dorm because you would go around to all the ethnic theme dorms. And it was all like, oh, we need to set up this and the sound system here. And I remember like the sound system was my thing. I was like the sound system guy. So if anyone <laughs> needed the sound system, um, I, I, I was the one I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I got to move this. And I remember Chris teaching me how to do that, like at some point in my freshman year. And it was just like I did it all the time after that. Yeah, but it, it was it was like an excuse to build a connection because I think um, the 
uh, like just going around door to door. I don't think, I don't think I have that in me now, Jay. Like, I don't know how you did it, but I was like, oh no, I'm just going to be here. And people are going to be all like, oh, hey, can you help find this? Sure. By the way, my name's Alvaro. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was building community and then also just like establishing a sense of place for myself. Mm. It was like, um, identity yeah. like you know like he i this is where i am this is where i belong like this is the group of people um that will support me and i think a lot of that is um having had that experience in Paso, like mm-hmm. i felt like i had that level of community so i was striving to recreate it somehow like um, yeah and and i did it through el centro chicano through and through los hermanos yeah the stanford uh, through ballet folklorico, like I, I picked certain things and I was all like, you know, these are the things that I'm going to do. Here's like my, my community and my group. Yeah. <sighs> How critical was that community to your success? I think it was very, very critical. Um, it's interesting. I think when like the academic side, right? Like mm. we haven't talked too much about the academic side at Stanford. Um, well, it's, it's, it's Stanford. It's Stanford. I think I think it kind of goes without saying, but we will talk about it if you want to, Alvaro. No, no, no. No, I, I bring it up to say like, um, you know, like studying was important and, uh, you know, like doing the work and just learning different things I think was important. But what what made it sustainable for me was developing that community, mm-hmm. like the group of the group of folks where you would be taking different types of classes, would have different experiences, um, was was really vital. Like I can't I can't tell you what I learned in any of the classes that I took. Like I don't really remember, um, but like the experiences and the friends and the relationship, like that community is what, what, um, is lasting. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I wish we, I wish our group of friends and stuff, like we had more opportunities to be closer. Cause I feel like we've all gone all over the place. Uh, but that's what, that's what I continue to remember is like the, the community and, and the relationships that were, that were created. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, no, I certainly, I mean, I, I agree. And I think um, it, it made, it, it made everything better, at least for me, you know, um, knowing that, that, you know, you could count on certain people, you were going to see certain people. Um, you had a purpose beyond like, I'm um, taking classes. I, um, I, yeah, I, I loved the community that I was able to build out of Centro. Um, so, you know, Alvaro, I coming from El Paso, did you had you ever experienced discrimination or racism? Um in El Paso, I yeah. so I remember feeling like a, a lack of opportunity and unfairness. Um, I don't know if I would explicitly call it like racism by the legal definition, Yeah. but, um, it's so funny, like the things that we don't get over type of thing, <laughs> like the, the things that still kind of irk us. Um, yeah. so in high school, um, you know, we have, a uh, several friends, um, guys that we were in Los Hermanos with who were part of the high school. And, you know, we were all, um, did very well academically, like we're in the top 10 of our class. And when we started our freshman year, um, the rule at the school, the rule at the high school that we went to at Cathedral High School was all like, at that point was like, freshmen can't take honors classes. But there were these two students that were white and they were allowed to take honors classes. And I remember like thinking it was, hey, you know, like, what's that about? We, you know, we could also take honors classes. And it was like, oh no, well, it's cause, you know, they, they've like did this thing. Well, can we do this thing? And they were like, oh, don't worry. And we were like, oh, is it gonna affect our like 
class standings, like how we're going to end up at the end of the year. And it was like, um, no, like you guys will catch up. And our senior year, like when they did the class rankings, those two guys ended up valedictorian and salutatorian. And I ended up like third. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you know what? That honors class the freshman year that did make a difference. Like what the hell happened? Um, everyone has like gone on like I I don't like there's nothing that I'm missing from not having like had that opportunity but there was that feeling of like unfairness like things not being equal and not having the same opportunities um I think once once I got to Stanford um there's nothing really that I can that I can recall um yeah specific to that question i don't know is there something that you that you have in mind (laughs) is this the one thing that you wanted to talk about well so i you know i thought it was it was it's it's a it's a fitting moment to talk about this because when you were telling your story when you were telling your story um you know I, i think my my parents and especially my father kind of instilled that same ethos that I think your parents, right? If you work hard, you can earn something. Um, And so, you know, early on, my father, I remember, took me to work with him and kind of, you know, wanted me to have a a good good work ethic. Um, And so, you know, I, I don't remember ever experiencing discrimination or racism. Um, But then I remember... I remember believing in that, you know, you know, very strongly that if you if you do certain things and I remember my parents like my parents didn't, you know, purposely didn't speak Spanish to me because they said they remembered when they were growing up, they were punished for it. And and so they saw that other students opportunities, especially Spanish speaking students, that their opportunities were limited. So they said, we want you to learn English and you're going to master English. And so. You know, I, I bring that up because it, it wasn't until like identity and racism and discrimination where it really became, where I really became like my eyes were opened to maybe how the rest of the world functions. And I remember, you know, there were moments at Stanford where, you know, people, when people found out because, because I'm light skin, right. And, um, and people be, and most people know me by Jay. Yeah. And so if they, if you never ask me for my last name, I've passed. Right. So, and right. so, you yeah. know, when, and people, and I've had, I had that, I'd never had that experience till I was at Stanford where when people would find out that I was Mexican American, they treated me differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, it would, did that didn't happen often at all. You know, I can count on one hand, right? But I remember when we were with Los Hermanos and we were on a recruitment event. And I and and maybe maybe the events of that night, maybe thinking about the story, telling the story, because I tell the story often and I've written about it. I wrote about it in my dissertation. Um I remember, you know, it was a night where there were also like like fraternities that were having events that night. And and I remember, you know, going out and we're doing a scavenger hunt, right? And that that moment when that police officer starts to follow us. Yeah. I didn't make that up, right? The police officer starts to follow us in that little pickup, that little like university <laughs> issued like you like pickup truck or something. And so what I'm, do you remember I, about that? What night? do I remember? So yeah. yeah, I remember the the scavenger hunt. We were, you know, we were wearing dark clothes. We were running at night at the university. I think you're right. I think a part that I don't remember is the fact that other, like, like fraternities, there's other student groups that are doing similar things. Like, we're not the only ones that are out there. But I remember, like, seeing Stanford police, campus police, like, driving around. And I remember, like, it was, we were, it wasn't timed, but we were like trying to be fast and I could not run fast. 
So I was like just jogging the whole time. I, I like people would pass me and I would like catch up to them or I would pass them because they would, you, you guys would stop and then keep going. But I remember at a certain point, um, just a bunch of guys taking off. Yeah. And so I, 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 a part of me remembers from just from that perspective, like, Oh, they're taking off. Like something's happening. And I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to like, take it easy. And I wasn't aware of what was happening until we got to like the place that we were supposed to get to when we got to the Rodin, right. Sculpture garden. Yeah. We're supposed to go to a certain place and everyone like a group had already gotten there. I'm not sure if you're part of that group, but then all of a sudden, like Stanford police cars, like jump onto the curb and they're on the sidewalk and they're stopped and they're like, everyone put your hands up. And I remember like running into like, they're all there and they're all like looking over there and I ran into, and I like got to the Rodin sculpture garden, went on my knees and put my hands behind my, and I was all like, well, at least I made it. (laughs) I made it to this thing. Um, yeah. And I think I, 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 a part of me was all like, you know, we're just running around, like no one's really doing anything. And I remember part of the conversation, uh, I remember the conversation with the police officer. Cause they asked, they're like, Oh, you know, are you students here? Show us your ID. And I was like, yeah. okay, here's your ID. You know, we got them. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, there's serious crimes that happen on campus. Like the, you know, we, we, we're just being precautious, you know, try not to do, you know, like do this kind of stuff where it, there it wasn't an apology, but it was more like, Hey, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff at this time yeah. of night. There are serious things that are happening and we got to take the security very seriously. And I recall this, I don't know if it's actually true, but I remember like a call coming in to the police scanner afterwards. It was all like, uh, someone broke into the candy machine at the English department again. <laughs> Can someone go out there and check it out? And I was all like, yeah, I mean, I guess there's like serious crimes. That's <laughs> Stanford, like a candy machine getting broken into. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I recall like some of it very vividly. Um, but I do think some of it was like the cop was starting to follow us and it was all like, let's run. Yeah. was the thing. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to chase you now. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, yeah, all of that's true. I don't remember the candy machine call, but that's great. <laughs> that's a nice little touch. I remember, you know, running through like, I want to say we were in front of Mirly's because we were at, we went to ease as a dorm and we're leaving Mirly's and this police officer is following us. And it, it's like, we're walking and he's like slowly like creeping. And I remember at one point we like stopped and looked at him. Like we all turned around and he like stopped. <laughs> didn't yeah. Like didn't tell us anything, didn't say anything. And we kind of like looked at him for a little bit and then we just kept going. And um, we started running if, because they told us that for every minute we were late, we would have to do 10 pushups. That's true. Yeah. And so I, we were getting towards the front of the quad. And then I remember just being like, I don't know who said, just let's just run. And we started running and then we got to this, the sculpture garden and then, yeah, then the cops, you know, and I remember, yeah, the jumping the curb and everything. And I, I, you know, the, the event, I think for me, like, Um, I think it, it was it was made worse because then like a week later we're playing football mm. and then the cop comes out and he talks to House and House is sitting like on the sidelines or something like studying and and he says that it, the field's only for Stanford students and and asks House like I remember House coming over and telling us like what the guy said that the guy was going to go get I don't know backup or I don't know what that we needed to have our IDs and how said that he goes over and there was a group of students on the other field playing frisbee and he said he asked them if the cops had hassled him and they said no and they asked him why and he said because because of the fields were only for stanford students and i i don't know if i if this is accurate i i remember for house being upset because the students said or those guys said they weren't stanford students but they were all white and yeah. nobody told them anything and i think like 
so I, you know, I, I just bring up this story because like for me, I had a hard time reconciling like this idea that my parents raised me with. If you do all of these things, you'll have success. If you do all of these things. And so like, I, I don't ever remember talking of like have, having a conversation with my parents about racism or discrimination. I remember knowing it as a thing, but also something that never had never happened to me. And so for me, I remember like it was a real like this crisis for me because it was like, hey, I've done everything. Like, why are you questioning me? Like, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, you're familiar with imposter syndrome, right? Like I already had issues being in Stanford, like kept thinking, like, when are they going to tell me I need to leave? <laughs> like, hey, you don't belong here. You need to leave. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was a serious issue for, for at least the first two years where I was like, and I think that having that happen winter quarter of our sophomore year, that was like, holy crap. Like maybe I really like do not belong here. Um, you know, did, did it have any impact on you? Did you think about it? Do you give it any thought? So... Uh, I guess a couple of things about that, just uh, for my parents, like my parents have definitely told me experiences that they had, like growing up in El Paso, like, um, and in Texas generally, like, uh, my mom tells a story about when, when she was in high school, she used to play tennis and they qualified for state and they went to Austin Mm -hmm. to compete and they went to a restaurant and I, I, they like sat there for like half an hour. And no one came up to them that people just like ignored them totally. And they were like, oh, we're not going to get served because we're Mexican. Um, And I think I haven't had an experience quite like that um, in in my life. And definitely at Stanford, I heard many stories about people being like I was driving on campus like other students and being all like the police stopped me like, hey, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. So I I do. I think I did realize like that other people mm. definitely had that experience, but for whatever reason, like no one ever questioned me in law school. When I went to law school, um, there was an experience I think where, um, people were like asking me if, if I was lost or if I needed to find something. And I think that was like the first time when I was like on campus where I yeah. had that like experience. Um, about not being welcome, but for the, what is it? So a- academically in terms of the imposter syndrome feeling, um, I feel like there was the, I, I, you know, I did the, the fuzzy path. Like I wasn't a techie. I didn't do any sort of te- technological stuff. I majored in inter- international relations and Spanish. So to the extent that I think maybe I was like, oh, if I try these other things, I'm not going to be successful. So I'm going to try um, liberal arts or like focus on liberal arts. Um, There was some of that. Um, I remember uh, my my freshman year, um, maybe it was my sophomore year, the fall of my sophomore year. It was like introduction to international relations. It was a huge class, like a hundred students or so that was broken up into sections. And the professor was like notorious for being a hard grader, like it it being a tough class. He was all like, like, I think the first day he was like, I grade on a curve. It was all like, there's this many of you in the class. Only 10 of you are going to get A's. Most of you are going to get B's and C's. (laughs) There's going to be like a handful of you that, that don't pass the, the course. I was like, okay. And I remember I was like taking all, like reading all the things There were, it was like an, a ton of reading. Like you had to read like 500 page books in a couple of days. And then you had another. So I was in a group, we split it up. We would like, um, we split up the reading. It was like, here's your book, write an outline, pass it on to other people. And I remember getting into the final, like having an A. And I mm-hmm. took the final got it back and it was all like, you get a B. And it had a significant impact in in that. I was like, oh, you know what? There's some classes that if I try really hard, like I might get an A, 
but I'll probably still get a B. <laughs> so I'd rather do the other stuff, the community stuff, like build those connections yeah. and not focus as much on the academic. Um, and I think I enjoyed, like overall, I enjoyed like the experience of school because I like the, the academic became less important and the, the community building was more important. Um, but I didn't think that exam was like, I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. I was more like, oh, you know, we're like, <laughs> the university does, doesn't, they want us to do well if we're there. Like, yeah. they, like we, there were so many opportunities like tutoring and stuff that you could go to. Um, so it wasn't until um, probably after, after I graduated at like once I finished even law school and was in like a professional setting where I felt more like, Oh, I don't know that I'm like doing well enough or doing like doing enough to be successful. Yeah. Um, I think at this point I'm more at, at ease with all of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely like the, the imposter syndrome feeling like out of place. Um, I feel like I'm in a better place where I don't experience that as much at this point. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, and just for our, for our listeners out there, when you, you said, you know, you focused on the community building, right. It wasn't like you just let your grades slide. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. But I was all like bees, you know, yeah. bees are okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to be, I'm going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. You, you I mean, you still You know, your classes were important, but you had prioritized other things. There were things, other things that you wanted to get out of it. Yeah. So, you know, you graduate Stanford um, and go to, you know, you continue on your path. You still want to be a lawyer. So you go to Stanford law, right? Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, For your, for, you know, you, you mentioned the community building. Um, what else do you think, or what else do you credit? And I know earlier you mentioned mentorship. Yeah. What else do you credit to your success? Um, I think the big thing is mentorship mm -hmm. and those connections. Um, when I was deciding to go to law school, um, you know, there wasn't like a similar like National Hispanic Institute or debate group. Like there wasn't yeah. like this group that was like focused on that. It was more like creating that on your own. But I remember like I would go to different events with uh, the the um, let the Latino law students mm -hmm. organization that existed. So they would have events with like the admissions person um, with uh, a professor. Um, Miguel Mendez, who was like the first um, Latino professor that was at Stanford Law School. He passed away a couple of years ago, but it was like developing those relationships um, yeah. and, and those mentors. Um, and I think for me, so for me, like uh, around the building the relationships in the community, like I felt like I had really good connections with mm -hmm. the individuals who were ultimately writing letters of recommendation for me. Um, you know, I asked one professor, I asked um, one of like the graduate students that I had taken a few classes with. Um, there, there was um, Francis Morales at El Centro Chicano. Like I felt it were, there were people who really knew me yeah. and could like say like, hey, I've seen Alvaro from this amount of time until um, he's gotten older. Um, the professor- yeah, He's great on the sound. <laughs> he knows how to put in that sound system. Yeah, he's really if you good. have any sound system needs, I definitely recommend Alvaro. It was like Yelp before Yelp. <laughs> Those letters of rec. Um, but the professor that I asked, so it was Professor Guadalupe Valdez, um, I remember asking her for a letter of recommendation and her asking me to write it, like write your letter of recommendation. And it seemed like such a foreign concept <laughs> to me. I was like, I don't know what to say about like, oh, you know, I gotta... <laughs> but I think that's not 
that's not uncommon is to have like someone potentially do a draft and be all like, put yourself out there. And I, I, I think that's one thing that I didn't realize in that moment of, in, in time. Um, and something that I wish I had known, cause I think I would have like tried to learn more about it and figure out how to present myself from that type of academic perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is like building those relationships, those connections, the, the person who managed the admissions process. So not making necessarily the, at, at Stanford um, law school, there was like a professor who would kind of sit in the admissions department and it was like, oh, you know, we were admitted by like this professor versus like, oh, the class after us was admitted by this other professor. So it felt like the professors had a lot of influence, but I felt like they knew me. Like I had, I, I, they had seen me, they were like rooting for me to, to, to make it, um, so I think the building those connections and those relationships was really important. Yeah. 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 I, um, <clears throat> so, so as you know, like I, I've been university faculty for a long time <laughs> and I feel like I work with first year students and, um, and it feels like, um, I, man, I, I tell them that, you know, first the first semester when I have them and I tell them to, network and build connections and meet your professors and meet your faculty and get in student organizations get involved and it feels like a lot (laughs) like i'm selling them something like they're like what are you talking like that's that's not you know and and um and so i appreciate that i appreciate you you sharing that because i i think you know i I don't know how many i think this this will probably be in episode 12 and and that's consistent it's been consistent across all of the interviews is that is it, yeah, you know, we want to do well in class, but, but it, it's, it's about all of the other things that we do that really, one, sets us up, I think, I think makes all of us a, a much more competitive applicant, regardless of the field, but it also, I think, adds to our experience, right, in, in college, and um, because college is, in, and school, I think, in general, is much more than just the classes and the, the information, right? So yeah. I appreciate that. So, Alvaro, the work that you're doing now, um, again, so now we're, you know, going back to the beginning of the interview, you're talking about your work. Um, how did you how did you find your way to this kind of work? Because knowing you, I, I know it's not it wasn't. Well, that was the job that was available. Um, as much as I know about you, you really think about the work that you're going to do, the, you know, the jobs. And, and so, you know, you're attorney, you're an attorney, you're graduating fresh out of law school. Um, what was the job market like for you? What was it that you were looking for? What kind of work attracted you? Um, so when I, I graduated, um, I want to like step back for a second, actually, before that. So I, okay. I talked a little bit about uh, Professor Mendez at the law school. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of like the first things that he said as a as a first year law student, he was like, you know, law school is a is a chance for you to try everything like you'll have very few opportunities after law school, like law school. It's your chance to figure out, do you want to work at a law firm? Do you want to work in a public interest place? Do you want to work in government? Like try to do as many of those opportunities as possible. So, you know, in, in law school, I spent one summer at a firm. Um, I spent part of a summer working at Maldef in uh, San Antonio. I spent a summer working for a legal project in El Paso with LULAC, where they were like help older individuals. Um, I spent part of the academic year working with the federal defender's office in San Jose. I did, um, the education project in law school. So I, I did a whole bunch of different things. I was like, let me figure out what I actually want to do, um, and what it looks like. And so after, when I left law school, I was like, I want to work on education equity and I want, um, to, have a, an equitable playing field for all students. Everyone have the same 
kind of opportunity that I had. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's bring down these barriers and really make sure that people have access, whether it's like funding or, you know, like other barriers that people put up in terms of language access. I was all like, let's let's look at all of those things. Um, but right when I was going to graduate from law school, um, I had several classmates who were going to clerk for a judge. And I remember talking to the folks um, in our public interest um, advising office, like for a career afterwards. They were like, if you want a clerk, you should do that first. So I was like, oh no, like I haven't been preparing <laughs> anything in terms of doing like clerkships. Yeah. So I was like trying to build that, uh, trying to collect all that information, get it all ready. I like sent it all out myself. Um, I was fortunate to get uh, a clerkship with the uh, New Mexico Supreme Court with um, now retired Justice Patricio Serna. Uh, I worked with him for two years. So those were the two years that I spent in, in, in Santa Fe. And then I was like, okay, I want to do like education equity work. I applied for a fellowship with MALDEF thinking that I would do that. It was like the Fried Frank MALDEF fellowship. Um, I was a finalist. I didn't get it. Um, I was like, I want to apply for another fellowship there for, um, for law students and law graduates, there's kind of like two, two groups and organizations that provide funding for you to work at a public interest. It's a nonprofit law firm that does different types of work. So you need to like identify the organization. Um, and then they're like, okay, we're going to use you to apply for a SCADEN fellowship, which is from a law firm or, um, for um, I'm going to forget the name of the other one, but it was like more of a, a funding organization, like straight up, like they just um, would provide funding for it. Uh, didn't get chosen for either of those things. And I'm like, oh no, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to find a job? And there was a place in Berkeley, like right here in, in the Bay Area um, that had their own fellowship. And, you know, I went back to the the folks at Stanford um, the career folks and they were like, Oh, you should look into this. You should apply for this. So again, just going back like that connection, like, Hey, there's this other opportunity. Um, and I applied for it. It wasn't specifically what I was looking at, but the type of work that they did, um, it's called the impact fund. They bring class action lawsuits in lots of different areas. Um, and they also support organizations that are bringing, uh, um, class action lawsuits, but also individual uh, attorneys like that are going up against big firms. They're like, I need money to support this litigation to make it. And it's like, okay, here's a, you know, you apply for uh, funding and they provide the funding for you. Um, It's an amazing organization. Um, And I remember like working there. And I think that's the point where I was feeling like imposter syndrome because it was a lot of uh, legal research. Yeah. They were doing like um, really cutting edge legal arguments around class actions because there's all these requirements for class actions. Um, I remember there were a lot of different cases going on at the time and feeling like, I don't know what's really going on in these cases. Um, and I think from that experience, uh, I learned a lot about class actions. I also learned that the legal process takes a long time. Yeah. Several of the cases that they had had been in litigation for like over five years. Wait, so it's not like TV? It doesn't happen. I mean, I don't know how it is. It's not. It's it's a different. It's not like it's like, a, it's like what episode? But it's not like Law and Order. Um, it's not court like every week or every day. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of like legal research, like you're looking up to make different legal arguments, you're writing really long briefs, you're talking with co-counsel to like write something up and everyone's editing it and then someone has to have the final call and send it out. So like the collaborative working, the yeah. collaborative work, I think I learned a lot about that. But I was all like, and I, I, I want to figure out how to get into the educational equity. But I think at that point, I was also like, I don't want to do class action work. Like I want to work with a community, you know, a big theme for me, like work with a group, feel connected, feel like 
I'm helping and I'm giving back. It was very important to me. And so um, another connection, the one of the organizations that I had applied for a fellowship with that we didn't end up getting it was like, I'm on a board member in this or other organization called Legal Services for Children. Um, they have an opening for an attorney. You should apply to go. And it, it you know, it, it was representing youth and lots of different legal processes. Yeah. Um, a big part was the, you know, fo- kids in the foster care system, kids in guardianship and immigration work, which wasn't necessarily something that I was like looking to do. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, it was a wonderful experience. I do feel like there was the building of the community that I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's like an epiphany, but it, it occurred to me like legal work in itself is kind of like uh, the grinding of gears. Like it's a system yeah. that exists that like processes cases and work. And there's no like limit to how much work there is. And if you're not careful, like all that work will grind you up. And so like you get removed from the process and there's always like another attorney um, that's able to go in there and able to work. And I just remember um, realizing like a legal component to like whatever legal support, like having someone representing someone so that they Uh, are able to get a green card so that they're not deported or representing someone so they're not expelled from school or so that they have a safe place to live. Like the legal part is only a small part of what they need to be successful. Yeah. Um, And I think what I struggled with was in building the community, um, legal services for children did have social workers that would provide additional support. Mm -hmm. But when you're part of a community, that community looks at you like, Hey, like, like help out. Like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Yeah. And that work really became, um, overwhelming for me emotionally. I was, I was like having trouble sleeping, um, different clients were have, were having outcomes that were like heartbreaking, like just, just knowing like what they were going to experience or go through was very challenging. And so I was like, I need to take a step back a little bit. Um, so after that I worked, I transitioned, I took a year off actually. Like I, I stopped working for a year. I was like, do I still want to be a lawyer? Do I not want to be a lawyer? I applied for different jobs. Um, one of the jobs that I applied for, I didn't get, but the person that was like on that hiring committee was all like, oh, you know, the Department of Education has an office for civil rights in it where they like handle complaints uh, of civil rights. Um, you should apply. I think you would be good. And, you know, I applied for it. I did the interview. I got that position. Um, and I realized that um, there were a couple of things that I learned from that job, but one was like that type of work, like working with school districts, with universities, when you do get complaints about harassment and discrimination and kind of like working with them to be all like, hey, you did this well, or like, actually there's a couple of issues, let's work together, let's, um, uh, would you agree to do these things to improve your process? for your students. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was really rewarding. And then I got the, the commute in the Bay area from the East Bay into San Francisco, but became a little bit too much. So then I was like, Oh, let me find a place that's a little bit closer doing that type of work. And that's how I ended up at UC Berkeley doing these types of investigations. In some ways it's closer because you you're, you're, I'm working again with individuals who, um, have, you know, have experienced discrimination or harassment and they're looking for a response. So I'm closer to a certain extent to individuals who are like bringing these complaints. Um, since they tend to be with people affiliated, the people that are accused also aren't like an institution. It's like another individual. Yeah. Um, so dealing with those individual things, I think, um, kind of takes me back to my legal services for children days, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, not all the students at UC Berkeley are in the same position Yeah. because my clients were, uh, in, in 
at legal services for children. So congratulations. Thank you. 16, 17, 18 year old Alvaro wanted to be a lawyer. You're a lawyer now. Uh, well, what is, what did you, how did you refer? I'm still a lawyer. I'm still but, a lawyer. But, you are but I'm a recovering lawyer. A recovering lawyer. Um, you know, um, looking back, Alvaro, and, and, and maybe think for our, our listeners, you know, what advice what advice would you give students? What advice would you give 17, 18 year old Alvaro getting ready to, to, to set out for college, maybe away from home? What advice would you give yourself looking back now? Um, I think I would tell myself to, that it, it, like, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Like not everything is as important or as serious. Cause I think a lot of times, people are afraid to fail are afraid to make mistakes. And um, sometimes that keeps them from applying for opportunities and doing stuff. Um, And I think like not getting stuff has taught me a lot. Uh, Even when I haven't been successful, it's opened up new opportunities and new things to do. Um, And I think the other thing is just trying a lot of different stuff. Like you might think, you know, it, it, so for me, it was like, I wanted to be an attorney, I wanted to be a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. Um, but I think one thing I would do is maybe be all like, oh, you know, try other things. Like, don't be so dead set on reaching that, um, that level. Try different things to figure out like, oh, is it actually a lawyer that I want to be? Or is it, is it something else? Um, going in, into academia, like I, I, we didn't talk about this um, too much today, but I feel like when I was graduating, I was like, I'm going to apply to law school. And if I don't get into law school, then maybe I'll apply for a master's. Like, and that's something that I had never contemplated. But, I, you know, like your experience, like it, there were yeah. a lot of people that um, did the undergraduate degree and also got a master's at the same time. Yeah. And so um, having it's trying things. And if you don't try it yourself, like building relationships with folks so that you broaden the perspective. Um, I think learning to, to be focused and motivated, but also being open to other opportunities and other experiences is what I, I would, I would uh, advise myself and not being afraid to fail and not thinking like failure is like the end of the world, but really like the, um, a chance for a better opportunity. That's good. You've given me a lot to use on my Monday motivations. <laughs> oh, great. <sighs> so, Alvaro, um, your daughter is how old now? How old is Amalia? Oh, she's five. She's five. Yeah. Um, do you think your, um, your experience, your college experience, um, will shape or inform what what you expect of her, what you teach her? So I, I'm already trying to like <laughs> do the like, it's okay if it's not like, it's okay to like fail. It's not the end of the world if something goes wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting because she's definitely, the, a couple of times she's all like, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm all like, yeah, I, that has been surprising to me. And it's yeah. like, no, you know, it's okay. Maybe you're tired. We can try it again. Um, but yeah, I want her to be willing to try stuff. Um, I don't want to be so focused on like having everything perfect. Yeah. So if like she's drawing, writing something and it's like not right, I'm all like, you got it wrong. It's like, okay, that's good. Like, let's try it again. Like, let's look over Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that we were working on a, a um, an assignment where she had she had to count up. Mm. It was like a picture. She needed to record herself counting and then writing the number nearby. And I, I thought we did great. It was all like, how many in this box? Zero, you know, like one. And she'd write a one. 
And then two and one, two, and should write it out. And then five, five didn't come out so good. I don't know how to do it. I was like, try again, down, and then a round thing. And then we finished it. And I was like, okay, let's submit it. She was like, I want to watch it first. I was like, okay. And so we play it. And she had, she forgot on the last one to count everything. She was all like, delete it. I want to do it again. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't really want to. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Let's delete it. The second one did not come out as good. The first one was better. Yeah. But it was like letting go of that, being all like, you know what? It's fine. Like, yeah. none of this is that serious. Um, I think uh, that's kind of what I'm taking uh, and and trying to to impart to Amalia at this point. Nice. Nice. Alvaro, thank you. Thank you for your for your time this afternoon. I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you, Jack. Um, please give my regards to your beautiful family. Thank you for uh, tell them thank them for me for allowing you to to join me on this on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you, Jay, for giving me the opportunity to talk. Um, oh, the fact that you've done this podcast, like I feel like you're definitely a person who's constantly like, what can I do? Like what's yeah. another project and thing. And, um, I, I take a lot of that from you. Like, um, I appreciate that about you. So thank you very much for allowing me to be a part of that. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Alvaro, have a, have a good evening and, um, we will be in touch. Um, I'm sure I will, you will hear from me before, but in the off chance that you don't, happy early birthday. I know you've got a birthday coming oh, up. Oh, yeah, thank you. So, thank you very um, much. Yeah. So this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you for joining us again. And tune in next time for another episode. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.